Good evening. Good evening, dear friends. Welcome back to another wonderful night of Tanya. The first Tanya of the spring season. Happy spring, everybody. Right? Today's the day, right? Today's the equinox, right? Right, Joel? My science man? I'm right, right? <laughs> My man of science right here. Okay. Today's the spring equinox, so... Uh, What's the what's the greetings for the spring equinox? I don't know. So happy spring. Why is it called spring? Because we spring forward. So uh, what's the message for us as as for as a Jew? That we cannot remain stagnant. We cannot remain complacent. We must spring forward in our spiritual lives as well, and always be looking out for. What is the next move? As the Rebbe would always say, if you're not moving forward, you know which way you're moving? You're moving backward. There's no such thing as staying in one place. Everybody knows. Momentum means you're moving. And no momentum means you're going to start slipping and falling and rolling back. So, happy spring. It's a spring equinox. May it be a season of growth. That's what Pesach means, to pass over, to jump over. Uh, it's a jump. It's not just a walk. It's not just a little movement. It's a leap. So it all fits in, right? It's all connected. Okay. As we enter Passover season. Dear friends, chapter 12. We're in the middle of chapter 12. Such an important chapter. And uh, as I told you earlier, the whole Tanya is building up for this. The whole Tanya is here to teach us how to be a Bainini. And uh, this is the beauty of it. This is the beauty, that we're here to really learn how to do it. And it's, it's really wonderful. So let us recap where we're holding. We are uh, in our Chapter 12 handouts, which I sent out last week. Let us review what we've done so far. Shall we? Yeah. So we're, we're talking about the Bainini here. The Bainini is very human, as we've discussed. But the Bainini is the perfection of the regular human. So what is the, what could we expect from ourselves? What could we be with being a person with all of our flaws and all of our weaknesses and all of our inner demons? The best version of the regular average human being is the Bainini. So we are all aspiring Bainini's, striving to be Bainini's. And what we know about the Bainini is that the Bainini is the person who, on the one hand, is just as conflicted, just as internally embattled as every human being. They have the good parts of them, they have the really nasty parts inside of them. But the Bainini somehow has mastered the art of always being strong and never being weak, never giving in to the animal soul and letting that animal soul gain control in your conscious life. Never letting the animal soul exert its influence in any of your behaviors. Not in thought, not in speech, not in action. So of course the question is, how does the Bainini do it? Right? How do we do it? So, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again, being a Bainini is not an overnight process. It is work, it's a discipline, it's, a, it, it, it's exercise. The more we do it, the more we get the hang of it. But uh, we shouldn't be intimidated by the, um, by, the, by the goal. It's a process. And it's one 
It's one step at a time. The first part of being a Bainani is what we spoke about last week. It's called a daily spiritual workout, daily prayer. And according to Judaism and in the Hasidic lifestyle, this is a very big deal. Prayer is not just another ritual. It's very, very central. It's very important. And I just read yesterday, there's something called, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an official word for it. It's called highway hypnosis. Have you ever experienced highway hypnosis? Highway hypnosis is when you're driving on a long stretch of highway. Or it could also happen when you're doing like a, you, you drive every day the exact same route. So you're very... And because your mind is just, is just so used to doing it, your mind stops registering what's happening. And also, you could be driving for a half hour, and you're like, what's, what just happened the past half hour? And, and, and you don't know. It, it was literally, you were in a little bit of a, a, a hypnotic stage, hypnotic stage. Um, highway hypnosis, because you're, you're, you're in the mode of automation, it's called. Uh, that your mind doesn't even register what's happening. Even though you were focusing, right? You weren't crashing. Uh, you were driving. In the moment, you were focusing, but for somehow it totally didn't register to your brain. So it was interesting when I read that because I suffer from a different problem, which is called davening hypnosis. Have you ever experienced davening hypnosis? <laughs> davening hypnosis is when, you know, I'm used to saying the exact same words every single day, that sometimes I could be in the middle of davening and I'm like, I don't even remember saying, you know, the... The three pages ago, the whole past ten pages, I just don't even remember saying it. I did say it, but it was, I'm just, that, that's obviously a very big problem. <laughs> that means that we're totally not focusing on what we're doing. So that's not what we mean when we say that the Bainini davens every day. The Bainini really gets himself in the mode, connects mentally, connects emotionally. And this is a way to really stir up the spiritual good energy that a Bainini needs and get themselves in the right zone. Because, you know, if you're going to tackle the day and you're not in the right zone, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to be strong. you got to inspire yourself. you got to work out. you got to get get those good juices flowing. So davening does that for the Bainini. And we're going to learn later on in the chapter, not today, but next week's class, we're going to learn about how important the influence of davening is throughout the entire day. Uh, the Bainini relies heavily on that inspiration to give him the willpower uh, to uh, to want to fight, right? So that's the first step we learned about last week. We also learned that what, if davening is done properly, the animal soul and the evil inclination kind of go to sleep when you daven. Uh, it sees that the godly soul is in its element. It sees that the godly soul is all fired up. And it just says, you know what? Now's, the, now's not the right time to show up and try to uh, exert our force here. So they just go to sleep. They go to sleep for an hour. But the author of it said, and this is what we concluded last week, the author of it says, when davening is over, the animal soul wakes up. And you know what he says? animal soul shows up with his coffee from Starbucks in hand, you know, his latte. And he says, thank you so much for letting me sleep in this morning. I just had a wonderful little schluff. I'm here for business. Nine to five. <laughs> and the animal soul shows up with a vengeance. And the altruist says, don't you dare think that just because you had a nice good morning of respite from your animal soul 
and your animal soul's impulses and instincts and desires and weaknesses and don't think that you're you're a tzaddik. <laughs> your animal soul shows right back up and he's in full force and the day begins the day begins with the exact same dilemmas and struggles as we all know we have so you would think that if there's two very healthy souls a healthy godly soul healthy and vibrant godly soul healthy and vibrant animal soul and they're each fighting each wanting fighting for control of the body you would think you know it's a toss-up sometimes the godly soul wins sometimes the animal soul wins you know 50 50 could go either way comes the author Evan says no in the bainini the animal soul never wins even though the animal soul is very strong again the bainini is very human has the exact same desires and instincts and impulses and weaknesses as every other human being that we all know we have so the bainini somehow has a 100 percent success rate and that's what we want to know what's the secret to this consistency so let's read We're on page 105 we'll start reading and today is one of the most fundamental parts of that of, of the tanya in a certain way this is the cornerstone of, of the whole worldview of tanya one of the most important elements of tanya are going to be in today's class so part three the bainini secret to self-mastery so the altruist says we have a healthy animal soul we have a healthy godly soul they're both fighting for influence but the altruist says like this let's read but only since this evil of the animal soul is not the only ruling power in the city there it cannot actually manifest its craving to bring it from potential to actual it doesn't manage to ever become manifest in the body it can't get that craving out openly to be actually invested within the person in real action speech or thought it can't get this bainini to take his mind deeply into the pleasures of this world to consider satisfying these cravings of his heart the bainini doesn't let the animal soul ever ever exert any of this influence and the question of course is what is the animals what is the bainini's secret to consistent control over the animal soul this is the big question for today what is the bainini's secret so we're going to learn two secrets and this is so important to know it's so empowering to know because the first important ingredient to to ever be strong to ever win is confidence to know that you are able to to be empowered so the author is going to empower us with two very very important insights here let's start reading the first point is like this the principle of mind over heart and dear friends this is considered the olive base the abc's of the Hasidic lifestyle. If you want to be a Hasid, this is step number one of being a Hasid. This is the secret. That is because the mind rules over the heart, as it is written in the Zohar portion of Pinchas. This is an idea that comes from the classic text of Kabbalah, the Zohar. It says the mind rules over the heart. It does so innately by nature of its design. This is how a human being is created to be from birth. 
It's a rule in Judaism. Mind rules over the heart. You know, there's a story. I don't know if it's a real story. It's a legend. And uh, it's generally said about Maimonides, but I've also seen it being said about many other different rabbis and sages throughout the ages. So I, I, I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a story. This is how the legend goes. That Maimonides had a debate with the other philosophers of his time. And the other philosophers insisted that they could train an animal, truly train an animal, to be able to transcend the animal nature. Maimonides said it's impossible. Impossible. Animals are animals. You will never get an animal to not be an animal. And uh, they said, no, we, we were successful. We were able to take animals and train them. And Maimonides said, you know what? Show it to me. Show me a test. Show me how you're able to train animals to be less of an animal and a little bit more like a human to escape their own nature. And if you could prove it to me, I'll show it to you. I'll believe you. You win the, you win the debate. So they invited Maimonides to a, a dinner to a banquet and they all sit down by round tables and the doors from the kitchen open up and all of a sudden a bunch of cats come out standing on their back legs with beautiful tuxedos and bow ties and they're holding in their little paws miniature trays and they start serving and they bring out the entrees and the appetizers and the drinks and it's, 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 um, it's really impressive. It's, it's unbelievable. And they're all looking at Maimonides. Huh? <laughs> this is good, huh? Maimonides says, you know what? I got to say, this is, this is impressive. You, put out, you, guys, you guys put up a good show here. In the middle of the dinner, the cats are coming around. They're clearing the plates. They're serving. Maimonides pulls out from his bag, very discreetly, a little box, and opens it up. And there's a bunch of mice in there. And he lets them all out. And the second those mice hit the floor of that dining hall, the cats dropped their trays, got on all fours, and it was over. <laughs> they all went after, after the mice. And uh, Maimonides said, you can never break the nature of an animal. An animal is an animal, and it's over. Why did I tell you this story? You know, if you think about it, what is, what is the essential difference between a human and an animal? Some say that there's no difference. We're just, you know, a little bit more of an advanced stage of other animals, you know. You've seen animals, some are more advanced than others, you know. Chimpanzees are a little bit more advanced than most of the, of the animal world, and then, you know, we're the next step. Comes Judaism especially Kabbalah, especially mysticism, and says there's a key difference. The difference is that animals are controlled by their heart. Humans control their hearts. That is the essence of being a human. Our hearts don't control us. We control our hearts. Yes, do we have impulses? Do we have instincts? Of course we do. But are we controlled by them? The answer is a resounding no. A human being has choice what they will do, what they will be, 
We have full volition over our moral choices, over our conscious choices, and that is the essence of being a human. And this is codified in Jewish law. Jewish law says there's never a circumstance where a person is not considered liable for their actions. You did something, it's on you. Animals do something and they say, what can I do? You know, I was, I'm hardwired to act this way. There's no morality by animals. There's no choice. They can't be something. They simply exist. They simply are. And they do it. Their impulses are them. They are, they, are, they are defined by their impulses. Humans are the exact opposite. We control who we are. We control the heart. Mind controls the heart. And Hasidah says that you even see this in the, in the physical build of animals versus human. Animals, generally speaking, the way God created them is that their head and their heart are on equal level. They're parallel. Okay, we could quibble about the few animals that don't have that, like penguins. Okay. But generally, animals are created that head and heart are equal. Humans are created that the head is elevated from the heart. There's the level of the heart, and there's a level above that, which is the head. And the author says, I don't want you to think that this is a skill that you need to develop, a talent that you need to learn. This is natural, innate. This is the way you were created from the very moment you were born. You are a human. You control your heart. Your heart does not control you. Which means, very practically, there is no such thing as a human being able to say, what could I do? I just couldn't control myself. I was so upset, I just couldn't control myself. I, I don't know, you know, what the law would be. You know, there's no 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 lawyers on tonight. I don't know any of you lawyers. No no lawyers. Sometimes we have a lawyer or two here. Okay, no lawyers on tonight. I don't know if we're passing a court of law. Maybe the argument that this person couldn't control themselves in Judaism that wouldn't fly. No such thing. You never lost control. Humans don't lose control. Humans give up control. It's a very key idea. We all know, when we broke our diets, because <laughs> who didn't ever break a diet, right? We've all broken a diet. Okay, it's okay, right? We, we've all done it. We've all been there, we've all done it. We didn't lose control. It was just impossible. I, I couldn't, the diet just came crashing down. I just, I couldn't keep it up anymore. It was impossible. We all know that, no, we, you know, it was probably a weak moment that we, 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 let, we forfeited control. We let go. That's how it is in life. There's no such thing like, you know, whatever, this is, this is my impulse. This is my instinct. This is what I want to do. This is my desire. This is, this is my craving. What do, you, what do you want from me? No, that is not a Jewish way of looking at things. That's not true. Being a human means you are in control of your heart. The mind controls the heart. Maybe the heart is not going to like the mind's conclusion, but there's no such thing that the heart has control that the mind cannot stop. Let's read that right now. Okay, I want to keep on reading with you. Every human being is capable by virtue of the resolve within his brain. All you need is a little bit of resolve, a little bit of willpower 
to restrain himself and to take control of the craving spirit in his heart. You do not need to satisfy the demands of your heart, not in deed, speech, or in action. You are capable of switching over your mind completely from your heart's cravings to the polar opposite. The altar wants to empower you and say number one, number one rule of being a strong person, the number one rule of being a Bainani, the number one rule of being a Chassid, is that you know that you have control over your heart. And if you know you have that control, then you have the empowerment to take that control. You know, I'm going to share something very personal. All right? I'm going to be vulnerable with all of you. <coughs> and I hope, uh, I hope my wife, Mushki, forgives me for giving this example. But I'll be, I'll be very honest and vulnerable with you. A few days ago, uh, a few days ago, I, um, I needed Mushki to do something for me. And a day or two later, she says, Oh, I totally forgot. Okay. Very normal stuff here, right? Don't worry, it wasn't about anything too grand or anything too consequential. You know, this is, don't, you're right, this is very basic day to day relationship life, huh? Okay. My gut reaction, which means my instinctive reaction, was upset. I, I was upset. I was very annoyed. And. I know my weaknesses. <laughs> I know my weak state. I could carry that uh, that upsetness. I, I could be like upset for like the next hour. I could be like moody because of like you know, oh now this and now that and now you know. I could be like now moody for the next hour. And um, I even I even I even let Mushki see it on my face that I was really annoyed. Okay, but then I actually was thinking literally what we just read here in Tanya like I started to think to myself like one second this is literally not a big deal it's not the biggest deal you know like right now I'm annoyed but like tomorrow it's going to be nothing and a week from now it's going to be like literally nothing I'm going to let myself get all worked up about this and I'm going to now be moody to Mushki and now she has to you know she has to like deal with my garbage now and I just I mentally told myself cut it out just move on it's really not a big deal. It's, it's really not. Like, besides the fact that every human has the right to forget things, like, it's just so stupid. And, like, it's like, it's like such a weakness to, like, start allowing this to start annoy you. Just, like, man up, grow up, and just move on. Like, it's literally not a big deal. It was, yeah, it was annoying. It was a nuisance. Big deal. And I did that. Like, I had to, like, spend, like, probably, like, a full minute, you know, 60 seconds of just self-reflection, a little bit of like meditation to just like mentally move myself out of that zone. And you know what? I stopped being annoyed. And I told this to Mushki openly. I said, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry for looking really annoyed and really moody for a few seconds. I, you know, that was just my gut reaction, my instinctive reaction. I just, I want you to know I'm, I'm just, I'm past that. I know that it's just stupid of me to even react that way. I'm past it. It, it was, it was, it was a very empowering moment for me personally and I try exercising this exact idea there's our weaknesses there are our impulses our animal soul has a way of reacting to things our animal soul has a way of 
desiring things, the way it sees the world, the way it perceives the world, the way it has an agenda. And then we get hit by those, by those impulses. We get those signals. Let's do this. Let's, let's think about this. Let's be moody about this. Let's... And, and the number one step of being a human is rein that in. Think about it. The mind controls the heart. Are we going to engage in this or not? You have a choice to make here. It's not like, what, what, I'm upset now. What do you want from me? I'm just upset. No, you're not just upset. Move on. Figure it out. Distract yourself. Think through it until you realize that there's not something worth getting upset about. Lock yourself in a room for a 10 minutes. Do, do whatever it takes. Move on. There is literally a way, either by force or by will, that the mind can tell the heart, we are not doing this. Sorry. And over. It's literally over. It's a very, it's, it's so important. The author says you need to know that you could do that. You need to know that you never lose control. You could give up control. But let's not fool ourselves. You gave it up. You had the control. You gave it up. And that's the number one rule that the Bainini has to live by. You have to always remember, you control yourself. The mind controls the heart. And in a certain way, if I could say this, to allow our weaknesses to take control over us is to deny ourselves the very gift of being a human. What are you, are you an animal? Why would you let yourself be overran by your weaknesses, just like an animal is? You're a human. Live with the gift of being a human. You could choose what you're going to be. You could choose how you're going to react. You could choose every decision in life, every moment of life. Live it up. Live up your humanity. So it's when, when we don't do this, when we don't rein in our heart, and control our heart, or control the uh, control the decisions we're going to do. We are denying ourselves our, our the essence of our humanity. So that's that's the that's the, that's such an important opening message over here. A very empowering message. You are in control. Know that, and take control. Exert that power. Now let's think about it. The author of it told us. Where is the headquarters in your body of the animal soul? In the heart, right? You remember that? The animal soul is in the heart. Because the animal soul is very passionate, very impulsive, very emotional, very short-sighted, not very well thought out. That's the animal soul, just like an animal. I'm in the mood of this, boom, let's start, let's start running there. The godly soul is the headquarters of the godly soul or in the mind. Because the godly soul is a soul that is motivated by its understanding, by ideas. That's how it develops. That's how it expresses itself. So mind controls the heart. The godly soul has the power of the mind. The animal soul has the power of the heart. Who ultimately wins? The godly soul. So the optimist says both souls are vibrant, both souls are fighting, but because we're a human, we have an edge. Our godly soul has an edge. And it's such a good edge. 
It's right, foolproof, guaranteed win. Mind rules over the heart. I want to say something a little bit tangential right right now. I'm going to be a little bit. Can I be a little bit edgy with you? So first of all, the the Tanya was written in the in the 1770s, 1780s, published in 1796. The world of psychology, the world of mental health, did not agree with the Alter Rebbe until quite recently, maybe a hundred years ago. Right, the old model of psychology is that the essence of the human are their deepest animalistic desires. And that's what rules the human. Today, psychology says no. <laughs> you know, the human is deeper than that. The, the human is not ruled by their, by their desires and by their lowest desires. This, 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 this is radical stuff. This was cutting edge. You know, it, it took science well over 150 years to acknowledge the truth of these words. So that's, that's a, I mean, it's a very powerful idea. I don't know about 150, for sure, 100 years. But today, we live in a society where, unfortunately, what do we tell our kids? Do whatever's natural to you, right? Is that what we're saying these days? Well, you you want to do this? Oh, do, yeah, do that. Live your truth, we tell people today, right? Do whatever is natural. Oh, you feel this? Go do that. Oh, you feel that? Yeah, go do that. No problem. Everybody does what they want. The Tanya says, no, that's so unhealthy. That's health? Telling people to, you know, yeah, whatever impulse you have, just go do it. Whatever feels instinctive, yeah, just go do it. That's literally the definition of being an animal. The gift of being a human is that we don't act that way. Is that we're able to think through and say, Wait, one second, I know I maybe want to do this. Is it the appropriate thing to do? Is it the moral thing to do? Is this what God wants for me to do? <laughs> and, and then we, 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 and we have an active choice to make over there. The whole model today of just do whatever you want, act naturally, it erodes at the very essence of being a human and it erodes at the very essence of spiritual living which is that life is exactly the opposite life is about being in full control over what we do over what we speak over what we even think and just because we feel something and even if we feel something very passionately doesn't mean we have to do it So this, this is such an important and empowering premise. You have full control, 100% control. You never lose control. We can maybe give up control. That is what it means to be a human, and the Bainini lives by this. And the Alter Rebbe demanded this from his Hasidim. Mind controls the heart. Live like a human. Live it up, 100%. Be a human who is in control of themselves. So I'll tell you a story. The altar of a chassid. His name was Moshe Meislish. All right, that was his name. I don't think he was a big rabbi. He was just one of the altar of chassidim. And uh, the Russian Empire was in a war with Napoleon, right? And Moshe Meislish was a man who knew many languages fluently. So the Russian army drafted him. 
and he was sent as a spy to infiltrate the French army and to act as a spy. And he would, uh, he somehow made it up the ranks in the French army and he would sit in the meetings where they were strategizing battles and he was, he was, he was, the, he was the mole, he was the spy. A chassid was the spy on behalf of the Russian army. One day Napoleon walks into, into a meeting and Moshe Meislish is there. And Napoleon sees some Jew, some Hasidic Jew, <laughs> sitting in, in his meeting. He immediately walks over to him and screams, You're a spy! And he puts his hand right away on his heart. He wanted to feel his reaction. He wanted to feel his panic. And Napoleon puts his hand on this Moshe Meislish's heart, on his chest, and nothing, uh, you know, nothing too dramatic. He keeps his cool. So Napoleon says, oh, you know, okay, I guess not. And Napoleon left. That was the whole thing. Moshe Meislish later said, he said, the only reason why I survived that is because of what the Yatav taught us. The mind rules over the heart. <laughs> just because I'm in a panic, just because it's scary, I, I could even control that. That's a very advanced level of control. To even stop the fear, that's a big idea. Now I want to tell you something. It's a law in the Torah. It's a law in Maimonides. It's a crazy law. It's a law that a Jewish soldier who's fighting a battle of God. You know, today we don't have Torah-sanctioned wars, but we all know the conquest of Joshua, the conquest into Israel. That was what's called Melchemist Mitzvah. A war that is a mitzvah. And the Rebbe even considered the, uh, the defensive wars of Israel to also be Melchemet Mitzvah. A war that is a mitzvah. The Six-Day War, the Yom Kippur War, these were wars of defense. The Jewish law says you're a Jewish soldier, you're not allowed to be scared. <laughs> it's not, this is not a piece of advice. You are not allowed to be scared on the battlefield. If you are, you are in violation of a Torah commandment and you should be kicked out of the army, or worse. What's the obvious question? <laughs> you, you want a soldier to not be scared? I'm saying, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But the Torah believes in this concept. Mind controls the heart, even over your emotions. You could even control your emotional reaction to things. Okay, but this is, that's, that's a more advanced level of control. You know, changing your emotions, that's a big deal. Okay, but basics in your conscious actions. What am I thinking about? What am I speaking about? What am I doing? These are choices we can make. We don't have to think about certain things. We can, we, we can decide to not think about it. Yeah, it's hard. Distract yourself. Think about something else. Say something else. Do something else. We are in full control. That's a key idea. There's a, there's a story told that one day, Alexander the Great, the great uh, conqueror, right? Alexander the Conqueror. <clears throat> he came home from a long day on the battlefield, leading his army, conquering. And uh, he was very hungry. So he comes to his tent and they serve him food. And he has all that adrenaline rushing. You know, he's just, he's just coming back from the battlefield. And in his soup, there's a fly. See, you know, you, have to, you kind of have to imagine it. He, he, he gets into this whole fit, into a rage. He turns the table over. What type of business is this? I'm fighting a whole day and nobody could even make sure that my soup doesn't have a fly in it. And he, 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 he gets into this rage. And the chef said, Alexander, you conquer the whole world. You can't conquer yourself. 
I imagine those were the last words of the chef that he ever said. I imagine he was beheaded right after that, uh, that chutzpah. <laughs> but the point is, sometimes it's, it's just conquer yourself. Be in control of yourself. You lead yourself. So that is the essence of being a human. We are in full control of ourselves. And if we, we never lose control, we could give up control. We could forfeit control. But a bainini is somebody who is empowered by the knowledge that they have control. And therefore, they actually go and take advantage. They utilize, they exercise that control. That's this idea. What do you guys say? Any thoughts, any questions? How are we doing? Make sense? I found myself doing that with anger. You know, just saying, well, also thinking about anger is like um, idolatry worshiping. Right. And so I think that's what stopped me. I could control it thinking of that. Right. Yeah, that's right. Anger. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of emotions that you know how do you get emotional you get emotional by by thinking about it by letting your mind dwell on it more like like you know resentment what happens resentment is really the result from meditation you know you remember something that happened last week last year five years ago and and, and you let yourself um you let yourself bring out that emotion to the point that it becomes start becoming very visceral it's a very real emotion but every emotion is really the result of, of letting your mind think about it you ponder on it that emotion starts brewing and cooking you know you're 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 adding fuel to that fire you know it's like it's like leah just said and you know like like i just experienced you know i was no moment where i was getting upset <laughs> and, and and but but before you let it get out of control you just say, no, I'm not letting this happen. I can't let this happen. This is just inappropriate. It's just wrong. It's just stupid. Now, we will learn later on in Tanya that once you let go of control, sometimes it does become very hard to get that control back. So the key is to always keep control at the first step from the outset. But, you know, there maybe is a point where somebody says, I'm just so upset. What can I do? I can't get off of it. So the problem is not that you're upset now. The problem is that you even let yourself get this upset. And that was because you let your mo- you, you let your thoughts ponder on this too much, which is inappropriate thought. Um, Joel just asked about grief. Who said grief is inappropriate? It depends. Some grief is appropriate. Some grief is inappropriate. Grief that is prolonged, that is too intense, and that just somebody who cannot let go of grief, yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow, but you know what? You, you could get over this. Okay, one more point. One more point. We are talking about the healthy, normal human condition. If there is a, a chemical imbalance, if there's a mental health issue that needs to be addressed by, 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 a, uh, by a medical professional, we all understand that's outside of the norm of, of the healthy human condition. But the natural human condition, the healthy human condition, the way God created all of us is... Mind controls the heart. Just because you have a craving for something does not mean you have to do this. Think about it, speak about it, entertain it in any way. That's key number one. So, just from this perspective, the Bainini already has the key for full control. (laughs) Mind controls the heart. The godly soul has the mind. 
The animal soul is the heart. The heart is very powerful. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of fire in the heart. But ultimately the mind rules. So the Bainini has a pretty, you know, the stacks, the odds are stacked for the Bainini. Okay, but it goes even deeper. There's another element here as well. And this is what I want to conclude today's class with. You know, this idea that we just learned, mind rules over the heart, is true not only about the, you know, Jewish issues, mitzvahs, or moral issues. It, it applies to anything, you know. It applies to if you want to run a marathon, if you want to do a diet, you know, mind rules over the heart. You know? But the author is going to say there's something especially powerful that makes it even better for the Bainini whenever it's a struggle between a holy choice and the unholy choice, godly versus ungodly. Why is it different? So let's read. We're in the middle of page 106. And this is the second element of the strength of the Bainini that the Bainini is, is tapping into. So the Optimus is like this. This is especially true when attempting to redirect your will to the direction of holiness. Oh, when, when the battle is towards holiness, it's especially true. You especially have this control. Why is that? And here's a beautiful idea. And here's another idea that we see from Tanya. Here's an idea from Tanya that has become very, um, very mainstream in the Jewish world. And uh, the author is usually not given the credit for it. But I think you will all recognize this idea when we read it. And you shall all know this is the source of the idea. This is the Jewish source for the idea. Tanya chapter 12, right here. <clears throat> okay, so it's especially true when it's something that has to do with holiness. As it's written, so the altar takes us to a verse from Ecclesiastes. The wisdom of King Solomon. Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest man who ever lived. This is what the verse reads. I want, I want to read it. I want to discuss this verse with you. Let's think about it. As it's written, I have seen that there is an advantage to wisdom over foolishness as the advantage of light over darkness. Okay, let's take a pause. There's an advantage. He has seen. <laughs> King Solomon, this is very wise stuff. This is very profound. He has seen there's an advantage of wisdom over foolishness as the advantage of light over darkness. I want to ask you a question. What's the profundity of this statement? Light is better than darkness. You know, is, is, that, is that such a big, uh, you know, <laughs> is, is, is that, it's, this is not the most sophisticated piece of wisdom over here. Like, you know, yeah, that's basics. Wisdom is better than foolishness. There's an advantage to wisdom over foolishness. This seems rather elementary, you know? It's like, you know, this is, this, is, this is the wisdom of King Solomon. What's King Solomon saying here? And not only that, he's making a comparison. Just as light is, has an advantage over darkness, so too wisdom has an advantage over foolishness. You know, what's the comparison? What, what, what's he learning here? What's the verse saying? It's a good question, no? What's the what's King what's King Solomon's message here? So the Yalter gives us an unbelievable insight into what this verse is really saying. It's really beautiful. 
the Altarist says, he's not just telling you a fact. Oh, light's better than darkness, wisdom's better than foolishness. He's teaching you the science of how wisdom is better than foolishness. Wisdom is better than foolishness, has an advantage over foolishness, just as light has an advantage over darkness. It's, it's analogous. So let's, let's unpack this. Light over darkness. What is the advantage of light over darkness? What do you say? <laughs> What's the advantage of light over darkness? What advantage does light have over darkness? Literally, what, what advantage does it have? We can see. We can see clearly. So first of all, light gives you, light lets you see and darkness doesn't give you. Okay, but that's, that's, but when light helps you see, it's not an advantage over darkness. It's a, it's, it's, in the direct, when there's a clash between light over darkness, light has the advantage. Understand? What's the advantage of light when it encounters darkness? Light can destroy darkness. Oh, light destroys darkness. So point number one, there's three points here that I want to share with you. Point number one is that light always wins over darkness. So what happens? You walk into a room, it's dark. You turn on the light. And now there's a, the, 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 there's a clash. The room was dark, so there's darkness here. And now you're trying to bring in light. You there's, there's like a conflict here. You never have a situation where the darkness doesn't want to budge, you know. <laughs> yeah, there, there's now a struggle. No. <laughs> light always wins over darkness. That's point no, Light always wins over darkness. Point number two is the volume how much light do you need and the author says these famous words a little bit of light dispels a lot of darkness sounds a little bit familiar those words a little bit of light dispels a lot of darkness you know in physics generally speaking you know if you have a pot of water and you put something in the water you displace the exact same volume as you put in, right? The exact amount of disturbance that went into this, this, this pot of water, that's how much water gets displaced. Am I right, Joel? Basic physics, you know, you, you, you displace equally. But light has the advantage that even a little bit of light dispels a disproportionate amount of darkness. It's not equal volume. When you walk in with a little candle, you don't only send away that exact same amount of darkness out of the room. A tiny bit of light has the power to overwhelm and, and eradicate and push away so much darkness. So that's point number two. You need so little. You need so little for it to be effective. And point number three is, the, it's not a struggle. It doesn't take time. When you introduce light into a room of darkness, the darkness recedes immediately and automatically. It doesn't take any time. There's no struggle involved. So that's even just physical, basic physics, right? This is the physical reality. Number one, light always wins. Point number two, you only need a little bit of light. Number three, that victory of light over darkness happens spontaneously. And 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 seeming uh, seamlessly, automatically, quickly, without a struggle, just so simply. 
the author of it says, that's the message King Solomon is giving us. When there's a struggle between wisdom and foolishness, when there's a struggle between the wisdom of your godly soul with the light of your godly soul versus the foolishness and the short-sightedness and the weaknesses and the darkness of the animal soul. The altar says, don't think this is an equal battle. The godly soul has such force, like the force of light. The same three rules apply. The godly soul will always win. The godly soul just needs a little bit of energy. And a little bit of godly soul pushes away so much of the darkness, of the foolishness of the animal soul. And number three, it happens quickly, it happens spontaneously, it happens smoothly, easily. So the altar says, all you need is a little bit of light, and you push away a lot of darkness. A little bit of light pushes away a lot of darkness. And this becomes a Hasidic way of living. You see darkness, you see a problem. The previous Lubavitch Rebbe said, you can't fight darkness with a stick. Don't fight darkness with darkness. What does Tanya tell us? What does King Solomon tell us? It's like the light over darkness. You gotta, you gotta fight with light. This is what the Rebbe would always tell people. When people had problems, you know what the Rebbe would always tell them? Stop dwelling on the problems. Bring a little bit of goodness into your life. Into your life. Bring some holiness. Bring some spirituality. You'll see the, the issues are falling away. You know, especially today with teenagers, and this teenagers struggle. And today, how do we deal with the struggle? We talk more about the struggle. So we become this surrounded by darkness. We have a problem with darkness. So let's make symposiums to talk about darkness. And I'll make a whole movement all about darkness. <laughs> We're not solving the issue here. We're just marinating in the problem. What's the solution? A little bit of light. And you'll see a little bit of light, the darkness fades away spontaneously, automatically. Let's read. This is such a, such a beautiful, fundamental way of living life. It's, it's not a spiritual idea. This is so practical. This is something that we have to live with every single day. So let's read. Let's read the verse again. As it is written. I have seen that there is an advantage to wisdom over foolishness as the advantage of light over darkness. Oh, now, now it sounds like a profound verse, huh? When you understand the wisdom, how the author explains it. Okay, this is what it means. This is what the verse means. Light has such an advantage over darkness, such rule and dominance, that a little physical light pushes off a large amount of darkness. You know, I remember seeing a few months ago, I think the Jewish Federation put up a meme with these exact words on their Facebook page. <laughs> and it said a Jewish proverb <laughs> or Jew- Jewish wisdom. That was the source. So what's the source of this Jewish wisdom? Right here. Tanya chapter 12. A little bit of light pushes away a lot of darkness. Okay. So that's number one. A little bit of light pushes away a lot of darkness. Even more so, there is no struggle involved. Rather, the darkness is pushed away automatically and spontaneously. So the altar says, top of page 107, the same is true 
with the massive foolishness of the klipa and the sitra achra of the animal soul, which is in the left ventricle of the heart, which is foolish. As per the saying of our rabbis, it's in the Talmud, nobody can sin unless first infected by a foolish spirit. The animal soul is foolish, and we only listen to the animal soul when we're in a foolish mood. So that's foolishness. Just as darkness, they, the animal soul, the foolishness of the animal soul, also spontaneously disperse all on their own when confronted by the wisdom of the divine soul who resides in the brain, whose will is to be the sole ruler of the city and to invest herself with all her three modes of expression within the entire person as described above, with the thoughts, speech, and action of the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah. So dear friends, the Altavist says, we have to really believe in ourselves. We have to believe in our potential to be in such control. And the Altavist says, we should have such confidence because the odds are stacked so strongly in our favor. Number one, the mind rules over the heart. We never lose control. We maybe sometimes give up control. But we don't need to give up control. Hold on to that control. You could be in control of every moment of your life. You could tell every weakness, I'm not sure if we want to do this. We're not doing it. And that's the first step of healthy living. That means we're living up to our humanity. We are exercising what it means to be human. And number two, the author says, whenever there's a struggle between the godly soul and the animal soul, the godly soul has such an advantage. It's the advantage of light. It will always win. You only need a little bit of good energy and it goes so far. And you see, it happens easily, spontaneously, automatically. I saw a letter once from the Rebbe. The Rebbe was writing to somebody who's going through a very big struggle. I don't know exactly what the nature of the struggle was. But they had problems they had to work through. It's, it seems like it was a teenager. And just uh, a, ver- a person in distress. And the Rebbe is writing this whole letter, encouraging them to, to tackle the issue and not to let the weakness define them, but the opposite, to work through it and, and grow from it and, and overcome the, the, the problem. And the Rebbe then says something which is so profound, and it really spoke to me because I relate to this. I relate to this exact attitude. The Rebbe said that very often when people confront problems they feel that the problem is so overwhelming and they say how will i be able to deal with this problem it's gonna it's so difficult it feels like a big mountain and the rebbe says very often when we actually start working through the problem we realize it actually wasn't such a big deal wow you know i was able to deal the whole issue you know i was able to work through it so quickly seven says seven encourages this person don't be daunted by, uh, by, by, by the challenge. Don't get overwhelmed. Just start working on it. And you'll see it's actually, one, once you encounter it, you realize it's not a big deal. You know, darkness could seem so dark and so threatening and so cold. But once you walk in and you start dealing with it, you realize that there's nothing to it. A little bit of light, all the darkness disappears. In a moment, in an instant. So that's what the author says. Abandon is somebody believes in themselves, who knows their powers, 
And because they know their power, they, they live it up. We, we really have to know that. Your weaknesses don't define you. Don't let it take control over you. We let our weaknesses take control because we think we're not strong enough for our own weaknesses. And the Altima says the first thing, knowledge is power. Know that you are stronger than your weaknesses. Live it up. Be a Benini. Next time you feel something, next time you want to do something, next time, just say, once I have, I have control. <laughs> so let me now exercise that control. So what am I going to do now? You know, take, take the stand, be in command, and know that we have the power of light. And uh, the power of light is very powerful. And it's true about the world, the world at large, and it's true about our, our, our inner world. Whenever there's a place of darkness, bring in light. And I just want to conclude with one last note. Mushki's grandfather, may God grant him good life and healthy, many more healthy long years. Um, he's a very special person. And he especially is very passionate about education. And um, he said something which is so true. It's 100% true. I, yeah, I, I, you see it so clearly. He said, what do you do with a young, a young boy or girl, teenager who's struggling, who's struggling in life? You know, they're just... They have these problems, and uh, you know, especially struggling with their Judaism, struggling with their religion. How do you know? So he says, "There's, there's a simple answer, foolproof, foolproof answer. Get them involved with helping other people. Get positive stuff in their life, and you'll, all, first of all, they'll forget about the problems." <laughs> all of a sudden they'll feel good about themselves. They'll feel strong. They'll feel motivated. There's nothing like the joy of being there for somebody else. Not... And all of a sudden, when you help somebody else connect with Judaism, you start feeling closer to Judaism. <laughs> when you help Judaism, when you help somebody else that Judaism should talk to them, Judaism starts talking to you too. It's all the same philosophy. You see a problem, you see darkness. Stop dwelling in the darkness. Just move straight to light. And then you'll realize that all that thick darkness that you thought was a real threat, it's gone. There's nothing to work with anymore. I think we got more to work with tonight, huh? So, dear friends, this is our second installment of How to Be a Bainini. Last week we learned about making sure that we're inspired daily. Today is all about know your strength, know your power. And know that the odds are stacked heavily in your favor. Overwhelmingly. It just takes the empowerment and the knowledge and that, that grit to go ahead and do it. And dear friends, with that we conclude. We'll see you all next week. We'll conclude chapter 12. Have a wonderful night, everyone. So you talk about mind over heart. How does that work in love? Explain your question a little bit more. Well... Do you control your heart and love, you know, by using your mind? Like, What we're saying over here is you could be very emotional about something. That's fine. Do you have to do it? For example, on a personal note, I love ice cream. I love ice cream. All right. Now, I'm not going to I'm not going to convince. I'm not going to delude myself that I don't love ice cream. I love ice cream. Now, do I always let myself exercise that or, or uh, uh, express that love by eating a bowl of ice cream? No. There's very often I say, you know what? I love ice cream. I'm not doing it today. Why not? 
because the mind controls the heart. You know? So I feel very emotional about ice cream. So I, I have to eat it. I have no control over myself. Animals have no control over themselves. They love ice cream. They're going to eat ice cream every single time they remember that love. And every single time they could get that love. I think I'm thinking relationships. So, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> just, just, just replace ice cream with whatever relationship you're talking about. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Let's be real. You fall in love with somebody. It's inappropriate. God doesn't want you to do it. So what's the Jewish response to that? Okay. So you're in love, but it's inappropriate. Just don't do it. But I love. So what? I know you love. <laughs> Just don't do it. It's wrong. The same thing about everything. I really, really want to do this. I, 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 I'm, I'm very, I'm just, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I know you, you're very emotional about it. But I really want to do it. I, 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 that's what I feel for. I, I know, I know. Now again, this is not, this is an internal conversation. <laughs> right? This is, this is not what, what somebody else is telling you. This is what we have to tell ourselves. So this is your weakness. This is what you have to work through. Every weakness has to be acted upon. Is that healthy? Is that normal? And it's okay. We, we could want certain things and it's out of bounds. We can't do it. So we don't do it. I, we love. So what? <laughs> I can't. You know, the, the, there's a medrash. Just listen to this medrash. The medrash says a person should not say that I don't want to eat pig pork don't say that a person should say i want to eat pork but what should i do that my father in heaven forbade me from eating it it's an important attitude yeah i want it so what <laughs> i want it and my father in heaven doesn't let me have it so you know what i'm going to do i'm not going to do it but i still want it i know so what big deal There'll be a lot of things in life that you want that you can't do, and it's okay. This will be another one of them. It's painful, okay? It's okay. Rabbi? Yes. Love is wrong because it comes from the heart. Love is not wrong. Stuff that comes from the heart are not necessarily wrong. We have a moral choice to make. Every emotion there has to be gatekeeping. The mind has to gatekeep the emotions of the heart. All the impulses from the heart, that's be gatekeeping. That's human. And we have to ask ourselves, is this appropriate or not? Is it kosher or not? Somebody, but your mind shows you the proper way to do it. That's right. Exactly. We should, no, the heart is not always wrong. There are a lot of things from the heart that will say, you know what? This is appropriate. Come on in. Bring it on. But we have to regulate it. We're not, we're, not, we're not saying that the animal soul is always wrong. We're not saying the animal soul is always evil. We're not saying the heart is always wrong. But it just has to be regulated. The mind controls the heart. 